Good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, I'm Andy. I'm the Julia the pastor at the Mandarin service. Uh, so if you do not know, we have a Mandarin service, a Chinese service at six uh, at, on Saturday, every 5 p.m. Uh, on the MBH. So if you have friends or families uh, who are Mandarin speaking, uh, do come and visit us one, uh, one day, on Saturday, 5 p.m. Uh, I don't come here often. I tell myself that I'll try to come here at least once a year to preach. So I'm very happy that I made my quota uh, today uh, for the year. Uh, we will be looking into Philippians chapter 2, uh, the New Testament reading that I've just read just now. Uh, before we go into God's word uh, deeply, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for gathering us here today. Uh, even as the traffic is busy, uh, help us, Father, now to um, set our mind uh, on the things uh, of your kingdom. Help us, Father, to look again to the work of Christ, uh, that we may be willing to those who respond uh, by seeking Christ's interest, uh, seeking to sacrifice for it. Uh, we pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, everyone seeks for something uh, when they come to church. Uh, what do you seek for when they come to a church service? Uh, for some people, they are here for individual experiences. They are looking for some inspiration or even liberation. Now they come here for their own knowledge. Uh, so uh, maybe they prefer not to have too much interaction with other churchgoers uh, when they come. Uh, so for them, uh, if others ask them too many questions or try to know about their personal life, uh, they will try to avoid. Uh, for some, it is the exact opposite. Some come to church so that others may notice them. Uh, they hope that people in the church will care for them, will want to know their personal struggle. And so when no one takes the initiative to care for them, uh, they feel disappointed, they feel bitter. Uh, this morning, I want to say that uh, the truth is that both of these expectations are inadequate. Uh, both of these attitudes require some fine-tuning. Uh, I think a lot of times we only think from our own perspective. We only think about what we want or what we need. Uh, but the truth is that we need a higher perspective that can really help us. And that higher, different perspective is given to us by God in the Bible. And so in today's passage, in the letter to the Philippians, uh, Paul touched on these attitudes, uh, how to fine-tune it, uh, by showing us a gospel perspective. Uh, God showed us Epaphroditus and Timothy, how they have got it right how they have a heart for Christ. Uh, we see here that for the sake of the work of Christ, both Epaphroditus and Timothy are to visit the Philippians. Their trip to Philippi is to show concern for the Christians there. And so Paul tells the Philippians uh, that they should welcome these two brothers, they should respond positively to them because everything they do is for their good. And so before we dwell in depth into it, uh, let me provide some background and context to the passage. Uh, if you're familiar with the book of Philippians, you realize that this section is quite interesting, uh, that it gives a lot of concrete background information. And so here I'll give you a, a big summary outline first of what is happening in the whole letter, the background through this section. So if you can have a slide uh, on the screen. Uh, from this passage, uh, we know that uh, when Paul was in the prison in Rome, uh, in the beginning it was a Christians in Philippians who first sent Epaphroditus to help Paul. 
Uh, he went there to bring supplies, to bring money to Paul. But on the way there, he became very ill. But after some time, Epaphroditus has recovered from his illness. And so now Paul planned to send Epaphroditus back to the city of Philippi. And the main reason for sending him back is to bring his letter, bring the instructions for the Philippians. Uh, what have most likely happened is that back in the beginning, when Epaphroditus first arrived, he would have told Paul about the problems in the Philippine church, about the disunity and conflict. Therefore, Paul, in response, has some teaching, has some exhortations for them. And so Epaphroditus is the message bearer, the one who bear Paul's letter to them. But after sending Epaphroditus, on a later date, Paul then planned to send Timothy on the way to them. And there are two reasons for this. The first is to tell them whether Paul has been freed from prison. The second reason, which is the main reason, is to find out what was the response of the Philippians to the letter that Epaphroditus has brought to them, which is the letter to the Philippians. Whether they have followed Paul's exhortation, and are once again united. And then finally, Timothy, after checking on them, is to return back to Paul in Rome to tell them the situation. Uh, and then finally, let's have the animation. I, you know, took some time to do it. Uh, and then finally, Paul will hope with the information he has, will visit the Philippians in person. So this is a very quick summary, uh, and I'll show exactly which verse, uh, which, which, uh, which phrases tell us about all this information. Uh, one final thing uh, about the context uh, is that we know that chronologically, Paul sent Epaphroditus first. Then only he will send Timothy. Okay, so we'll look at the verses regarding Epaphroditus first, which is verse 25 to 30. And then only in the second half of the sermon, we'll look at the verses regarding Timothy, verses 19 to 24. So we come to the main point, the first point of our sermon. Uh, we look at Epaphroditus. Uh, it is an example of the one who risked his life for Christ. And so in verse 25, uh, Paul says that I thought it necessary to send Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger minister to my need. Here Paul said that Epaphroditus is a Philippians minister for the sake of Paul's need. Like I said earlier, uh, what is he ministering? What is he serving? Uh, he went from Philippi to Rome to serve Paul's need in the prison. And if you look at chapter 4, verse 18, later on in the letter, he said, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. So the gifts that Epaphroditus brought were most likely money. Why does he need money in prison? Uh, it is so that you can buy food. Uh, do you know that in ancient times, when you're locked out in prison, like Paul was, uh, they don't give you food. You have to rely on your family and friends to send food to you, or you even have to pay for your own food. Now, we all know that in Malaysia, um, our prison in Sungai Bolo or detention centers, they are really notorious for serving low-quality food, poor-quality food. But the, the situation in Paul is, is even worse. They don't even serve you poor-quality food. You need to pay for yourself. So Paul was very thankful for the gifts that was brought by Epaphroditus. And that, that was what uh, we know here. And then in verse 26, uh, we read this information. 
the poor became very ill. Poor, I uh, know. Sorry, the Epaphroditus became very ill uh, while he was on the way to Rome. Uh, but God had mercy on him. Back then, when you are that ill, most likely you will not survive. But Paul had mercy on Epaphroditus. But God also had mercy on Paul because if such a dear brother who cared for him died, it would be very devastating for Paul. So God had mercy on Paul as well that he may not have sorrow upon sorrow. But if you look at verse 26, you also found out about another information. Uh, we found out that when, when Epaphroditus was, was sick on the way in Rome, probably in Rome, the Philippians also found out about this illness. You see, he says here, say, uh, because you heard that he was ill. So what would happen if the family and friends in Philippi found out about one of their people, Epaphroditus, their dear servant who was ill? They probably would be very worried, isn't it? And then they probably thought that he would have passed away at another time. So because the Philippians people were worried for Epaphroditus, and now that Epaphroditus has recovered, it is now worried for their worrying. You get what I mean? Of course, you know, you know that your family will be worried for you. You are well. You know, they must have thought that you have passed away. So he's very anxious to go back to them, to, to say to them that I'm fine. And that is why we see in verse 28, that is uh, one of the main reasons, one of the big reasons uh, for Paul to send Epaphroditus back. In verse 28, he says, I'm the more eager to send him, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again. So you'll be, so you'll be relieved. You'll be happy that, oh, Epaphroditus is well. God had mercy on him. Uh, but if you look closely at verse 28, it says that not only that you may rejoice, but I, Paul, also may be less anxious. How is it that by sending Epaphroditus back, Paul will be less anxious? Or we ask, what is the thing that Paul is anxious about for the Philippians? I want to say that Paul is anxious about the disunity among the Philippians Christians. We see that clearly in the earlier part of the letter, in our previous sermons, where Paul at many times tell them not to just seek their own interests, ask them to think about other people's interests as more important. Uh, there are many times Paul tells them to be united, to be of one mind. Uh, we can tell from the first part of the letter that the main reason he wrote this letter is because he concerned for their disunity. So Paul writes a letter, he's anxious about them having conflict, uh, not united, so he wrote this letter, He's anxious for them, and then so that Epaphroditus will bring it back to them to tell them what to do, to tell them to come together for Christ and the gospel again. That is how he becomes less anxious uh, by sending Epaphroditus. Uh, so now we have seen the reason uh, for Paul in sending Epaphroditus back to Philippi, the two reasons I mentioned earlier. Uh, we have seen how he has served Paul very well, first in coming to help him, and now, secondly, to bring back his message to the Philippians. So Paul asked the Philippians to honor men like him. In verse 29, he says, So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life. Why did Epaphroditus risk his life? Now, it was so that he can meet the need of the Apostle Paul. 
the Apostle Paul was so crucial for the spread of the gospel, for, for revealing the good news to the people back then. Back in verse 25, Paul called Epaphroditus his fellow soldier. He's a fellow soldier because he's willing to lose his life like a soldier in a war. But he's not losing his life for the war, but for the sake of the work of Christ, just like Paul. So here, we have the first example of someone who has a heart for Christ. In Epaphroditus, we have a Christian who is truly willing to lose his life for serving Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, when it comes to risking one's life, it is indeed very difficult, isn't it? I think for most of us people here, uh, the only thing that we will risk our life for is our own life. <laughs> In other words, we won't risk our life for anything. <laughs> our life is truly the most important thing. If you lose it, nothing else matters. Uh, therefore, this morning it is important for us to be reminded again that for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is indeed worth us risking our lives. In the gospel of Luke, Jesus says, for whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Why is it that when one saves his life, he will lose it? It is because our life now here is temporary. More so, our life now here is fallen. It is corrupted with sin and evil. And so, those who hold on to this corrupted and temporary existence, will ultimately lose life itself. On the other hand, Jesus has come to save us from this corrupted life. He has come to give us a new life, one that is free from sin, one that will be good forever. And therefore, those who give out this corrupted life now for Jesus' sake will gain true life. My friend, this is what we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the core message of Christianity. It is because of this gospel of Jesus Christ, we see that those who are in countries that persecute Christianity, those countries like China, North Korea, and many Middle Eastern countries, we know that in those countries, there are many Christians who will even give up their life in order to continue to trust in Jesus. We know that it is for the same gospel that our Malaysian pastor, Raymond Cole, he was willing to proclaim Christ to everyone around him, anyone from any background. And even when someone sent a bullet to his home for doing so, he did not stop. But of course, brothers and sisters, I know that most of us here uh, are not yet in a situation uh, where we need to risk our life just to keep trusting in Jesus. I believe that most of us Christians here to trust in Jesus does not require us to risk our life. Or if I'm honest enough, I think many of us have not reached that level where we are willing to lose our life for Jesus, including myself, to be honest. But even then, we still need to know that our Lord and Savior is literally worth us losing our life. We do need to know how far we can go so that we can start making more sacrifice now. Even though we are not making that much sacrifice, we do know that it is worth that much 
so that we can start a little bit even from now. For instance, those who are in full-time ministry, why do they give out a higher paying job, a more secure job, maybe a more less stressful job? It is because they know the importance, the value of preaching Christ. And not just those in full-time ministry, but also many Christians like you guys who sit in the pew, uh, those with regular job, many of you choose not to spend more time out there spending more money, not to choose more time, sorry, many of you choose not to spend more time earning money. Many of you choose to labor more in serving the church. Choose to take on more burden, more stress, or even more sorrow, purely for the sake of serving others to grow in Jesus Christ. Why are we willing to do that? Because we know the value of serving Christ and what it means. Therefore, brothers and sisters, uh, let us more, be more willing to sacrifice the comfort and the security in our life, little bit by little bit now, until the day where we may even be willing to risk our life. Because we know we already have the true life in Jesus. Secure for us through Christ's own sacrifice. But at this point, I want to say that for most of us sitting here, when we start sacrificing more and more for Christ, I don't think that what will happen to us is that we will die from serious illness or that we will be kidnapped. Now let's be honest. If most of us here give up more for Christ, I don't think that is the most likely scenario that we will die from serious illness uh, like Epaphroditus or be kidnapped like Raymond Cole. I think when, when we are willing, when we do start, maybe, uh, I think maybe for, I think in general circumstances, I think when many people, uh, when they try to sacrifice more for Christ, what I see usually happen is that you will feel overburdened uh, to the point that you'll be less joyful. Or maybe in some cases, serving so much even to the point of feeling depressed. Uh, therefore, today I want to say uh, something more practical uh, about sacrificing for Christ, about how to sacrifice for Jesus, but yet not become overburdened or become joyless. First, you must receive my words, not as mere words of man. But in my preaching, you should hear God speaking to you. Do not try to do more gospel work for anybody's sake. Do not try to please anyone and then do more gospel work, not even for your pastor. Do it only for Jesus' sake. Now, when you do it for Jesus, you are responding with gratitude and joy from the grace that you receive from Him. But often when you do it to please other people, maybe you are responding in guilt. Maybe you are responding in shame. Secondly, don't only do it for other people, but, do it also, but don't do it also for yourself. Why do I say this? Because many times when we want affirmation from others, many times when we want compliment from others, it is because we are seeking our own glory. Don't do that. Do it for Jesus' sake. When you are doing it in response to grace, when you are not doing it for your own glory, often you will be able to know what your limit is. You will know when to rest 
because Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. But often when we do it for our own expectation, for other people's expectation, what happens is that we will feel suffocated. We cannot bear those burdens. Often it is other people's burden and our own burden it is hard to bear. But Jesus' burden is easy to bear. He said it, and many people have experienced that. So don't serve more and more for other people. You may feel joyless, you may feel overburdened. But serve more and more for Jesus. I want to say that even as you sacrifice more and more and more for Jesus, your soul will find rest, your soul will find joy. Let us come to the second point of the sermon. We see now to the example of Timothy. It is the one who seeks the interests of Christ. Earlier we, say, we see in verse 25 uh, that Paul says that it is necessary to send Epaphroditus. Uh, now in verse 19 he said, I hope, I hope in a future date to send Timothy. And what is the main reason he said that he will send Timothy at a later date, in verse 19, at the end here, he say, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. That by sending Timothy to find out something about you, I might be cheered, I might be encouraged by hearing about your news. What kind of news will encourage, will make Paul happy about them? It is related to what I said earlier about the purpose of Epaphroditus going back. Like I said, Epaphroditus will bring Paul's letter back to them, uh, to bring his exhortation, to address the issue of disunity among them. But after reading Paul's letter, how does Paul know that they have responded rightly? How do they know that, how does Paul know that uh, they have done it according to what Paul asked them to do? It is by sending Timothy to find out. Uh, when Timothy arrives at Philippi at a later time, he will discern uh, he will check on them whether they have once again been united in one spirit. And then Timothy will bring that news back to Paul uh, before Paul go and visit them in person. Uh, this is the main reason for sending Timothy. There's a first and main reason. And, and if, you, if you read further, if you read in verse 23, uh, we see a secondary reason for sending Timothy. Uh, like I said later, uh, it is to inform them uh, about Paul's fact. Faith. He says, I hope, in verse 23, he says, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. At the time of writing, Paul doesn't know whether he'll be executed or he'll be free. But as soon as he finds out how you'll go with me, he will send Timothy to inform them. And in verse 24, he said that, though a bit uncertain, I'm confident that I'll be free. I'm confident, I trust in the Lord that I shortly myself will come also to you. So here are the two reasons why Paul sent Timothy back. Uh, and then in verse 20, uh, Paul said that Timothy is the most suitable person for this trip, for doing this task, especially the task of finding out whether Philippians have solved their problem. In verse 20, here he says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Timothy is the one most suited to check on the Philippians. Uh, because he is genuinely concerned for their welfare, 
This means that Timothy is willing to go all the way to Philippi, not because Timothy enjoyed doing a spot check on them, like your discipline teacher, not because he enjoyed being a strict examiner, trying to find fault in them. Timothy is willing to do that because he genuinely wants them to grow in maturity in Christ, to want them to see them striving again together for the work of the Lord. And why does Paul need to remind them that he is worth it? Uh, we see again in verse 22, uh, You know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. And the Philippians would have known Timothy. Uh, when Paul went there to establish the church, Timothy was there along most likely. We have, they have known that uh, Timothy is the spiritual son of Paul. Uh, he is the disciple uh, who followed Paul's pathway in serving the gospel. So he wants to tell them, Timothy will care for you just like I care for you. So receive him well when he comes to you. Philippians will have known that Timothy is someone who care for the gospel, care for the word of Christ, but he then reminding them again to receive him well. Why? Most likely because you'll be uncomfortable. You'll be awkward when someone comes to check on your spiritual state, right? Timothy is there to find out, to, to check them whether they've done well or not. After all, who enjoys being monitored and being evaluated? Now, I'm sure most of us will have a natural defensiveness, isn't it? When we want to find out how are you responding in Jesus. Most of us don't even feel comfortable sharing what we're really thinking in our heart, what we're really thinking in terms of responding to Jesus. So therefore, Paul says to, to them, receive Timothy well, even though you may think it's uncomfortable because he cares for you, because he's seeking for the interest of you, the interest of Jesus Christ, not for the sake of his own interests. So I guess for many of us, like I said in the beginning, that we might not like people probing in our life. We might say, why interfere each other life? Why not just we care for our own growth? Look at what Paul said here. Paul said that those who care for you, those who make you uncomfortable, is because they want to keep you accountable. They want to get uncomfortable because they want to help you grow in Christ. Not because they are nosy, but because they care for your interests in Jesus Christ. Unlike those who only care for their own interests, we want to feel comfortable, but often it is those who doesn't care about us who will leave us alone to be comfortable, isn't it? So, brothers and sisters, I hope that you will not be defensive against those who truly care for you, especially those who are in church, who wants to help you to grow in Christ, to grow in maturity according to the gospel. Try to accept them. Try to receive their help. I know that things are not perfect in church. I know that there can be people who care for you for ulterior motive. I know that there can be even people who care for you for their own pride, for their own achievement. Uh, but there are those who will show you genuine care because of Jesus. Uh, but So if that happens, uh, do not reject this blessing. Uh, we do need more people in church who are willing to receive genuine care from others. 
Now we really, we need more of you to receive genuine care for others. But you know what we need more? Uh, what we need even more are people who can give that kind of care. We need more brothers and sisters in church who can share, who can show genuine care, not for themselves, but for Christ, to love and care others. Now it is indeed not easy uh, to have that genuine care for others. Now I say this with honesty as a pastor for eight years. After so many years, I don't find it natural to have genuine care for others. It's not like I have ounces of love, you know, that's just in my nature that I love people. No, honestly, I say I don't. But I still care for people, not because it is natural for me, but because God says it is good for others. You'll be joyful for them and eventually you'll be joyful for me as well. So when I just start responding more to God's grace to follow more, when I start to do care for others more, then I experience the joy it brings to them, how I can help them grow. And eventually it does bring joy to me. And that is how it gives me more motivation to continue to care. Finally, I want to say that while there are some people who, who might avoid, who might reject other people's concern, like I said in the beginning, on the other hand, there are those in the church who want others to care for them, but they do not receive much. Or in my own pastoral experience, uh, when I encourage some brothers and sisters to care for others, they will then say to me, you ask me to care for others, what about me? <laughs> I also need to be care, you know. <laughs> who care for me? Uh, for these kind of questions, I can only say, uh, we humans, we all have very limited energy we all have very limited time and wisdom. Which church does not have a lack of people that can care for others? Every church is lacking. Therefore, I can only say, we can never expect humans to satisfy all our needs. We shouldn't. In fact, before the kingdom of God fully comes, many good and godly desires will never be satisfied. Uh, we have to adjust our expectations according to the finiteness of human being. But we do know that the grace from God is sufficient for us. Although we humans are finite, God's grace for us is infinite. The salvation that Jesus procured for us, the comfort that he gives, is enough. The salvation is perfect, only that it hasn't been realized yet. So brothers and sisters, where there are people who care for you, maybe even at the wrong time when you don't want interference, do embrace that blessing. But if there are times where you want to receive but you do not get, I pray that you can patiently rely on the grace of Jesus. His grace is sufficient. And finally, I want to encourage you, all of you. I know it's hard. We all want to be cared, but all I can encourage you, all of us, is for us to care for others' people first. For us to draw strength from the gospel, from the love of Jesus himself first, so that we can care more for others and yet be joyful and not be overburdened. You see, even if one of us responds more to the grace of God positively, the church will be a better place. Even if just one of us have more of that in them, the world will be a better place. Let's encourage each other in this way, shall we?
in conclusion, we see that in this passage, there are two Christians with the heart of Christ, Epaphroditus who risked his life for Christ, and Timothy who seek the interest of Christ in others. Both of them are imitators of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself sacrificed himself in order to save sinners, in order to build others up. That is what they did. Uh, both of them are exemplars of Paul's teaching. Paul said in the letter, Do not care for your own interests only. Count others' interests in Christ more important than yours. And Epaphroditus and Timothy are prime example of that for us to imitate. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you indeed that your grace is sufficient, that your salvation is perfect for us, that it is indeed worth us even to risk our life. Uh, we know that for many of us, uh, we, there are still many things lacking, uh, but help us not to be guilty or shameful of, of our weakness, for we know that that is exactly why you came, to save us, to bless us. Help us to respond to that salvation, to that sweet gospel that we receive, that will be willing uh, to count others' interests more and more, that will respond to the gospel, that will follow your commandment uh, to genuinely love those around them and, and continue to be joyful in doing so. We pray this in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen.